The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. I'm Lori Bischoff. Welcome to the podcast where my guest du jour and I talk shift because the antidote to feeling stuck, you guys, begins in our mind with a shift in our thinking. Most of my guests have at some point in their life gone rogue and made a radical shift that completely altered the course of their life. Talking about those major shifts and how they ultimately changed their lives for the better is what I am passionate about sharing with you in the hopes that you'll be inspired to go rogue from time to time and make some awesome shifts happen in your life. Today's Going Rogue guest is the author of How to Not Be a Miserable Cow. Yes, it's Allison Capra. Now, Allison is not only a writer, but she's a producer and a creator. Uh, she's devoted to telling the stories that take her behind the scenes, off the grid, and up the next mountain. She has her own podcast as well called How to Not Be a Miserable Cow. And uh, she shares in her book her own journey of reinventing herself from being, yes, a miserable cow, her words, you guys, are not mine, uh, to becoming a happy woman who is not afraid of being bluntly honest with herself. Hey, Allison, are you ready to start talking some shift? I am. Awesome. Well, I know that you are a super busy woman, and actually, you have your own podcast, don't you? I do. I'm just kind of getting it going. It's just started in the last six months or so, but yeah. I love the name. <laughs> Named after <laughs> your book, correct? Actually, I should ask, did but the podcast... How to Not Be a Miserable Cow. Did that come before the book or after? It came after, but it's something that I wanted to do before I ever wanted to to um, write a book. I actually was like a huge fan of Man Cow. I don't know if you know who that is. but I do. He's like old school radio show host, and I wanted to be on his radio show, or I wanted to work for him, and then I wanted to have my own someday. And then the invention of the podcast came around, and I'm like, oh, perfect. Perfect. I can talk all the time. Yeah, I can talk and just get it on the on the internet myself. Excellent. So, okay, I want to actually start with the title. Why miserable cow? How how did that come up? How to not be a miserable cow? Well, you know, I think probably the biggest thing is I think many of us like wake up unhappy every single day. And I grew up in um, the Midwest and my family and my, my cousins and my, um, my everybody had cows. Everybody always had cows growing up. And so we like would go out to pasture and hang out with the cows. And like if a cow was sick or if there was something wrong with it, I don't know if you've ever seen a sick cow. It is miserable. <laughs> it's really, really <laughs> bad. And I know there's been like a lot of those memes roll around, like don't be a miserable cow, blah, blah, blah. But if you've seen one, it is like they they waller and they groan and it is bad. And and most of the time when something like that happens, you have to like put it down or like get it fixed immediately because they can't, they'll hurt themselves. So wow. I don't know, to me, just like the idea of dealing with, you know, discontent, a discontent attitude or being miserable is like that. It's like just wallering in your own crud and your own 
crap, like literally until you get put down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this this is a really good um, selling point, um, people out there, ladies, I guess, in particular. um, They, you know, miserable cows get put down. So you probably really want (laughs) to invest in this book and a little time so that that doesn't happen to you. (laughs) Right, exactly. So are you, um, since the book came out, have you had any pushback or, or, or whining or, you know, insulted people over this title? Has that come up at all? Oh, you know what? It's really funny. Cause my, my husband and I talked about it. Like when I was getting started, he asked me the same thing. He's like, don't you think like you're trying to appeal to this female audience, but you're kind of going to piss a lot of people off. It feels like, and I said, no, because everyone will think of themselves as the exception. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of the way that it works. So like people buy this book a lot and will say, oh, I'm getting this for my mom or I'm getting this for my friend. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> yeah, I totally get that because the name of my book is Common Sense Happiness, Five Principles for People Who Want to Stop Whining, Bitching and Suffering. And and nobody wants to think of themselves, most people anyway, as the as the person that's whining and bitching and suffering. So the same thing there. It's either they're getting it for somebody else or uh, or they're just not telling you that they're getting it. I actually had somebody um, say, I really want to give this to my sister, but I don't want her to, uh, I she can't know it's from me. So if I just give you her address, <laughs> would you just send it anonymously? And I was like, sure, dude, whatever you want. <laughs> so so, so awesome. I get it. I start selling mugs with it, like, uh, like a mug with a cow's face on it. Cause I'm like, at least if they get a, a cute mug or something with it, they won't feel like so yeah. insulted. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, softens the blow a little. Just just try to have some yeah. humor, right? Try to have some humor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you have so much good stuff in here. And honestly, there's a there are a lot of things in your book that I talk about in my book as well. So I really resonated with it. Um, I think it's awesome. And I think first, I would love to start out with your descriptions um, that you call the traits. You have six traits cow traits. So the anatomy of the miserable cow, I think it's, I think it's important that we just touch on those real quick. So everybody knows how to recognize a miserable cow or, you know, if they happen to see one looking back in the, at themselves in the mirror. (laughs) That's true. That's so scary, but it's like, you know, I kind of came to this stuff because it's stuff that I feel like we all have to kind of deal with. And it's like, like you say, like you always talk about is, is that shift. It's like, you have to, to go, wait a minute. Am I doing that too? You know, am I, am I acting out? Am I acting, am I having bad behavior? And am I acting out an, an emotion that like, maybe I just need to deal with them within myself and it, it doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. And right. I think, you know, one of the big things, like a lot of this stuff, like I've gone through a lot of things, but there's always people who've gone through worse things than you. And I mean, I right. don't know your backstory, but you probably have some really hard things. Yeah. I mean, everybody has, you know, their own stuff and, uh, God, one of my guests put it so well, and it was something like, um, one person's paper cut is another person's bullet wound. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, I think that was it. And that's it. So, you know, what one person's really difficult or hard situation or, you know, a period of suffering is, another person's just, it's just no big deal. 
You know what I mean? So right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe like growing up the way that I did, and then just having like you know, my, my whole life, I've just kind of had this, like, okay, you just need to like shake this off. You're and I never really let myself like deal. I'm a pretty stern, like, as far as like, I don't cry a lot. I'm not really somebody that like super emotional. I put a lot of stuff internal. Well, then what happens if you're internalizing like all these different emotions, like you end up coming up with like acting ugly or, or hanging on to resentment, things like that. So I developed a trait. And, and the thing is, is like, again, when people read through this stuff in, in my book, it sounds so harsh because it's like, you're talking about things that people have for a reason. They're dealing with these things and they need to. And so it's not so much as like, these are just the warning signs and symptoms that you're a miserable cow. So this isn't saying like, you maybe didn't have a reason to feel that way, but it's mm-hmm. saying these are the identif- like the identifiers. So the first one was um, resting bitch face, RBS. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, feel I like love it. I, ha- I laughed under- when I read that. <laughs> Honestly, real quick, the first time I ever heard that expression was seriously like only a year ago. I'm like, what, what on earth is that? I don't know. I mean, up here in Wyoming, I don't know if I was just missing out on the, on, on stuff or what, but I was like, what is that? So somebody you described knew exactly it to what it me. was once you heard it, right? Like, you knew exactly yeah, then I knew what, exactly. <laughs> oh, that, it's that look like a person just swallowed vinegar when they thought it was going to be, <laughs> y- you know, like a really good uh, Irish coffee or something. And, and it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, the thing is, is like most people don't even recognize it. It's not something. And a lot of times people say, you know, well, that's just my face. And I just had such a different upbringing. My mom was so hardcore that I was intimidating. She's like, you are intimidating. She always told me that from the time I was little, you're intimidating. So in order to make sure that you do not make people feel like have walls up, you have to walk in a room and smile always. And she just pushed, pushed, pushed that to me because she said that I could really, (laughs) I could really make people scared if I didn't smile when I walked in the room. So for me, like that one, I, I, if I catch myself doing it in photos and stuff, I'm like, oh my God, like that's just awful. And you don't want to have that like snarly face. It makes you have wrinkles. Like <laughs> it's something that if, you, if you're doing because you're bitter about something, like then maybe you got to deal with that. Like what's causing you to be so haggardly looking? Like, right. <laughs> so haggard, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You gotta and li- lighten up. It, yeah, yeah, because I always say your your um, external world, which is your body on out, is a reflection of your inner world. So, if you've if you've got um, RBF as you call it, then there must be something going on internally that's expressing that way. And if it's not, then maybe like no joke, maybe just check on your face. Like just if you really aren't upset and people are always asking you if you're upset, then maybe you should just check on your face. Like maybe just just practice. Yeah. Yeah. Soften it up a bit. Okay. And maybe like, you know, I kind of feel like it might be a generational thing. I feel like younger and younger people are kind of like walking around like they think that's cute or something. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? Just like. It, it could, it could be, you know, everything is cyclical. And so there, you know, back when you saw like the old timey photos, nobody was ever smiling and they did indeed That's look true. miserable. 
<laughs> but, <laughs> but back like in the Depression era, they had a reason to look miserable. Pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the first trait. And then you've got Number, a few. Yep. Yeah. So what's the next one? The next one is velvet daggers. And I didn't really know what that was. And my husband's military. and He like ex- tried to explain it to me the way that it is. It's like the way that you cut through something so seamlessly that it doesn't even like it, there's no like gaping huge wound it's like a really clean stab that like mm-hmm. you can bleed out slowly and no one would even notice that you got you know sl- you got cut ah and so in the book i kind of break it down but what it is is it's it's really more of like a i mean it, i can't say it's a backhanded compliment cuz it's not really but it's like a way when you catch the end of the catch like the end of a um a statement with like an underlying, like, you know how to get to the person you want to get to. And you just throw that in at the end of a sentence just to kind of get to them. And it can be a nice, clean cut. It could be like, I mean, cause only, you know, how to get to people that you're close to, you know what I mean? Okay. Only you know so, how to like, yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like a criticism so, disguised as a compliment or an right, innocent comment. Right. Oh, right, okay. an innocent comment that you that you can like backhanded make at any time, just to like, well, um, I took the trash out myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was supposed to be my turn to take it out. So instead of just like being direct or you know asking nicely, can you take the trash out? It's more of a like, you didn't take the trash out, and I'm going to remind you that you didn't, and I'm going to you know kind of a thing. Right. Okay. So, sort of passive aggressive. Okay. Yeah, very passive aggressive. It's probably the most passive aggressive thing that you can do. And just that whole thing in general. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody that way. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's gnarly because you can't, they won't ever be real with you about what's going on. They kind of always have to just underlyingly. And it's it's painful, like in front of people. I've watched my girlfriends do that to their husbands and stuff in, in front of people. And they think it's cute. And it's not like nobody thinks it's cute. Right. <laughs> so if you yeah. like, yeah, because everybody knows it's a criticism. Right. Right. And that's somebody, just kind of. I've like, been taking the kids to school every day this week because somebody, you know, whatever. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Okay. Constant nagging is trait number three. Constant nagging. So you know, I kind of learned like early on just. In being married so young, at like 19 years old, I was married the first time. And I just kind of learned that like the nagging thing wasn't for me. Like I just didn't like hearing myself say stuff repeatedly. And I didn't like asking people to like do something over and over. And if it was that big of a deal, like to where they just refused to do it and that was going to be like the way things went, then I just was going to handle it myself. Now I do think, and I don't know, you can, you've got some probably better insight on it than me. Like that can probably be a bad thing too. Cause you don't want to become the person that just always takes everything on. Cause you don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that if you're nagging you being a martyr. Right. And then you're the martyr and then you're always doing everything and then you're doing both the tires. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think for me though, you know, I have to say things a lot to my spouse now because he's got several TBIs and so he struggles with memory stuff. 
And so I have to remind him of stuff a lot. And I had to just like go, is this worth me nagging? Is this, this simple thing like taking the trash out worth me nagging? Is it worth me saying it and 50 times and making everything a, a nagging, like to where your spouse doesn't even want to be around you or your partner or your friends don't want to be around you because all you do is nag them about something that you want them to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't. So like I started just handling things. And then whenever I wanted to like really express to somebody how I felt like I've been doing all this and I kind of feel like, you know, I'm not getting any help from you. That's something you can express like without losing your mind and without repeating yourself 45 times in a really negative nagging voice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If nagging is, is become the habitual way of communicating, then you're not, you don't really have good, clear two-way communication going on. So it kind of just lends itself back to, you need to learn how to communicate with each other and you need to learn what um, is important to each other and, and care about that. Right. Yeah. And if it's, if it's something that like, again, like I use the trash as a, as a simple thing, cause I know it's the number one thing. I feel like everybody's constantly nagging and bitching about to their, or throwing temper tantrums really about things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of was getting to a point where I was just getting overwhelmed with keeping the house together at my house. I've got stepdaughters and then, you know, my, my husband, and then we usually have people like right now we have people staying with us since the hurricane and like our house is just like full of people all the time. And it's been that way my whole life. And like, I kind of feel like I'm like the only one doing stuff. And I was just like frustrated constantly. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just pay somebody to come and help me and stop being a martyr. (laughs) Like you said, like, just yeah. stop with all, you know, because it's not worth your sanity. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I think it, there are some things that um, if communication isn't going to solve it and just a, 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 a mutual understanding, then you go to the next step and you go, well, how do I solve this for myself? And that doesn't, you know, require the, the involvement or consent of the other person. I'll just solve it. And then we'll be done with that and move on to some other things. And and not yes. let it steal all of your energy and your focus. Right. And not take it personal. Right. You know, like, I feel like so many people take things like that personal. It's like, you know, maybe it's just not personal. You need to let go. Right. So right. Um, the next one is complaining, mm-hmm. which I feel like is way worse than nagging because like nagging is like, okay, you're hitting one person up about something you want from them. Complaining is just like spewing negativity into the air, you know, for everyone to hear, like sharing your every, every discomfort or every, you know, and I feel, I feel like, you know, it's like the number one thing. And I know it's snarky. I shouldn't ever do it. But like whenever people say like the words, Oh, I'm so hot. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, Mm-hmm. Like obviously, like it's the middle of July. We're all outside. We're all hot. But like, is there? Is it? Is it worth it to just vent? Like, do you just need to vent like how you're feeling to everyone? I feel like you might be a miserable cow if you need everyone to know how hot you are or how upset you are about the way that somebody treated you that day or how you know whatever it is. The complaining is just so contagious. And if you've ever, if you ever have a doubt of that stand in a grocery store line and just make some one negative comment about something and watch how quickly everyone behind you jumps right in. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, th- there's a lot of common ground there. 
people people are not yeah. shy about letting others know how their level of discontent over everything. And then it is, it's like a, a very magnetic current that everybody is drawn to. Interesting. And it's, it's so like, it's, to me, it's just gnarly because like my parents always just say like, stop complaining. Like we absolutely will not tolerate complaining if you're upset about something or you want to talk to somebody. And then, you know, one thing they used to do is like have me express myself in like a note or a letter so that like I could get my feelings out on paper without just like spewing, complaining, you know, everywhere I went. Right. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Express yourself in private on paper and (laughs) don't subject everybody else to it. Yeah. I like that. And it's one thing, if, if you're coming to the, a, a solution, that's something else. You know what I mean? Like right. if you're, if you're looking for solutions then that's something different, but just steady streams of complaining, it's, it's so bad. Oh, sure. And that's a big it difference. Makes nobody want to be around you. Yes. Yeah. Complaining for the sake of complaining and, and making sure that everybody knows how dissatisfied you are is one thing, but it's different if there's an issue that needs to be brought up for the purpose of finding a solution. Totally different things. Yep. Okay. All right. And then we have two more traits, jealousy. And then the last one is entitlement. Yes. And those are probably the two worst things, I think. And I mean, everybody deals with it. And it's normal to feel jealous. I feel like it's normal for us to have little tinges of that. But we have to deal. Like, we have to deal with it. Because otherwise, like it can really screw up relationships like bad. Right. I, I've, I, I've had this rule and I wrote it in the book. If anybody ever goes, Oh my God, I'm so jealous. Whenever I tell them something great about that, it's happening. Or whenever I, you know, I'm like, Oh, we're going on this trip. And they say, Oh, must be nice. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I don't want to be that close to you anymore because I, I think you maybe don't want good things from me. You know, mm-hmm. and I've got that a lot throughout my life just because I've gotten to do some really great things and and having people be jealous. Like if, if you're really somebody who deals with jealousy and it is something that like you feel a lot like you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with why you're so obsessed with what other people have or, or, or you know, mm-hmm. to what you don't have. Right. And that kind of leads into entitlement, which is like you believing that you deserve something for any reason. The the sense of like you, something is something that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just for me, like I, I can't tell you in my life how many times I've just dealt so strongly with like not getting what I thought I deserved. Like, whether it comes to marriages or relationships in general, just friendships. I felt like I've always been the friend that just gives and takes care of people. And then I end up feeling like I was entitled to receiving that back. And you can't give of yourself that way and expect that same thing back because people have their own stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Same thing with just even your kids. I mean, and I'm sure you know better than me, like you've got great kids. Like they, it comes to like when you're trying to instill that into a kid, like they feel like they deserve things because they have things to start with, you know? And like, we grew up in this country where everybody has like so much more than anywhere else. And in their mind, 
it makes us as a whole, as a culture, feel like we're entitled to certain things. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that we're not. We really aren't. Even 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 when you work hard for stuff, sometimes you still don't get what you think you, or you should get. Sometimes you still don't get what you deserve. Yeah. It's it's not a fair world. That's not the way that it works. Right. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And we, we do we could probably spend a good solid hour or two just on entitlement alone. It's, it's an interesting wave that has swept through. um, I think the younger generations even more than ever before. And, you know, there's certain aspects of entitlement that I think everybody, everybody is entitled to certain things. Like you're entitled to certain um, rights, like the, you know, the right to pursue things. You're entitled to, um, be a happy person. You're entitled to things though, but not at the expense of other people. And for me that that's a big thing that's missing. Um, you know what I mean? In the mentality of a lot of people with an entitlement mentality, it's just, well, that's a good, well, that's an amazing point. And so like, what would you say Maybe even just since you were in your 20s and 30s, that has been the biggest change with just entitlement. Like, what, I mean, what do you think that it is? What do you think has brought it about you? Well, you know, I think that each generation um, has done better and better than the one before in our country. And every parent's desire is to have their children have more and have more opportunity and have more experiences and just have more than they did. I think most emotionally stable sound people want that for their children. But I think where, where there comes a problem and the tricky part is when as a parent, you start to forget that there are certain values and like work ethic that should come along with that so that yes, you want to give your children everything and under the sun. Don't we all want that? We all want to have amazing things and experiences and have the best of everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you forget to um, also be the parent that is teaching values and work ethic and, you know, there's things that you need to learn, like, you know, you're, you're not entitled to certain things just because you exist and breathe air. You, you need to have, you know, respect for other people and you need to have respect for, for earning some things and doing some work. And you need to, you need to be a contributing member of society and, you know, make your own way and be able to stand on your own two feet. Now, obviously that's a generalization because there are some instances where people aren't able to do that. And we have system in, systems in place to help people like that. But for the most part, people need to be able to go out and rise to their own potential of their own volition. That's my thought. Right, right. And that's, so that's, that's really, really good. Cause that's like, so the reason that I wrote this book, it kind of came to me I mean, mostly because I was just watching so many of my close friends, like, I mean, in our thirties, I've been, you know, married now three times, divorced twice. So many of my friends, we were getting married so young, everybody's getting divorced. And like, I was watching kind of this cycle happen of, of 
my close friends in our thirties kind of with everything coming to a crashing halt in their lives. And if it wasn't, it was almost like, God, everybody's just like, well, they just get divorced already. Like they, they'd never stop fighting. They never, you know, and I, I just wanted to dive into like what, what it is within like this time and in space of like where we are in history that is like kind of making like this, it's almost like the people are a little disillusioned about what relationships are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, this book is a lot about divorce and relationships, but I think one of the main things is like people are, are under the impression that they're entitled to happiness. And I don't think that that's the way that it works. I believe that it's, you're entitled, like you said, to the ability to cultivate and create happiness. Right. But you're not entitled to feel happy every day. That isn't something that you just were born with. Oh, I get to be happy every day. And like, I think everyone kind of has this idea. And I know I did getting married very young and like to the wrong person. I had this misconception that if I did these things the right way, the way that I was taught, this A plus B equals C. If I did this and I did this and then I married this person and we got, you know, moved along in our lives, like I would be happy and I'd have a family and I, you know, we live and have a great life. And I thought I was entitled to that. And what I feel like people, what happens when you do that is it creates this, I mean, it's, it's not just like, I would say it's not even like a a stigma, but it creates like, you know, this, this level of pressure in relationships where you feel like this person, it, they owe you something by yeah. getting into a relationship and getting married. They owe you something. They owe you happiness. And yeah. people think that they, they get promised happiness uh, when they get married or something. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth, no matter what relationship you're in, no matter where you're at, with your single, married, divorced, whatever, like you are the only person in charge of the, your happiness and cultivating that. And so if you're not happy in a relationship, then it could be the other person. It could be that, that they are not in a healthy frame of mind and it is causing you pain every day because I've been in that position. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really wasn't me. I can tell you that the first time around, it was not me. I was with somebody who was damaged. And what I had to take responsibility for is that he was damaged when I met him. And I knew that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I had to take responsibility for that choice. But when it came to that place of like, this is not, I cannot do this anymore. I am in pain. This is not going to work for me. And having to get out of that, like it's, you have to deal with the fact that like, even getting out of it, there's no looking at it and saying like, why did this happen to me? Like, no, you weren't entitled to happiness. You were entitled to, to cultivate and create that with, with a person, but they, you aren't responsible for how they feel and you can't fix them and you can only worry about you. So in each and every relationship, if you're in a relationship right now and you're not happy, it isn't their problem. It's not their problem to fix. It's not your spouse's or your boyfriend's or whatever, your friend's problem, your parents' problem to fix the way you feel. Only you can do that. And so that's why I wrote this book. I wanted to challenge people to say, okay, all all arrows pointing at everything else, at everyone else, I need to look at why why I'm in this position. Why am I unhappy? Why do I feel miserable? 
Why do I have resting bitch face? Why do I have like this constant nagging? Why am I complaining all the time? What is it that's making me bitter? Because I guarantee it's not because, you know, the temperature outside or whatever Mm -hmm. you're complaining about. It's something deeper. And I really believe for a lot of us, it has to do with like a creative insecurity or a sense of just a sense of entitlement is something that we thought we deserved instead of just like growing and learning about yourself and developing yourself and dealing with your own stuff first before you get into a relationship. Yeah. It it seems like that the big piece there is uh, so many people are placing the burden and the responsibility of their feelings of peace and happiness on other people. And it's nobody else's real responsibility. It is only yours. So you're right. I believe too, that it must be cultivated from within and, and that goes for everyone. And that I, and I, I do think that we're, we're entitled to peace and happiness, but we're not entitled to have it given to us by somebody else. That's my, that's for me, my distinction right there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, um, chapter two, we talk a lot about your, you talk a lot about the culture of discontent and we actually have touched a little bit on that, but I think one of the big ones here, and there's, there's five really good reasons. I think the one, Hmm, well, I'd like to go on. I'd like to talk about all of them, but I want to make sure we get everything in here. So I think the one about being easily offended is a really that's a strong one right there. Oh yeah. You know, I, and the thing is, okay, so I want to talk, I'll talk about that, but I want to talk about one more. And mm-hmm. so with the, with the being easily offended, mm-hmm. the thing that's so scary to me that I've just like only come to recognize because this is something that like I grew up doing like um, leadership training and things like that over the years. And it's like, it's easy to spot, like you, like you talk about perspective shift, you could be like out on the street taking a run and you pass a friend, right? And you wave at them and they don't see that you waving at them, right? Mm -hmm. And so immediately your brain goes, how could she? Like, why is she like blowing me off? Yeah. I always, you know, you start going through all the reasons in your head of why she's a bitch. Yeah. And then you maybe didn't know the perspective switch like switch is that maybe she just got like a complete call that somebody in her family died and she's just over there like freaking out and tried to go for a run to clear her head because she's so upset and she didn't even notice that you were there because she's got a million things going through her brain like you have no idea what people are dealing with and Mm -hmm. so for you to take on an offense Mm -hmm. is really you're screwing yourself it's the number one reason that you're like screwing yourself. You will be discontent always if you are easily offended because there's a million ways to be offended. And, and it really all comes from just your perspective of the way somebody handled something. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and that's a great example too, because when somebody doesn't show up the way that we think that they need to show up in order for us to be okay, we create stories about why they're showing up that way. So we, you know, we create a whole story in our head about why this person is not showing up the way we need them to, to be okay. And then we uh, have justify uh, reasons for, feeling offended and not feeling good. And yes, if you are somebody that has the um, habit of being easily offended, then you are going to be miserable for your entire life. 
Because you'll always find what you're looking <laughs> yeah. for. You will always you find will, a easily. reason to be offended. No matter what you do and where you go, it's going to be there. And you know how people are. We always find what we're really searching for. Yep. Yep. You can turn yep. anything into the answer to your question. That is for sure. Yeah. And it also means so your you, focus yep. is uh, way too much on what other pe- how other people are behaving and not enough on, on yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so the other one that I I would want to talk about in that group is the creative insecurity thing, because I Mm -hmm. feel like for women, for women, it is one of the number one things that women deal with, because for whatever reason, I find like a lot of my girlfriends and friends like that, like over the years of so many, so many people, like they will kind of just give up on whatever they thought that they wanted to do with their life because it's hard or they don't see a clear path or they have insecurities about getting somewhere. And I think the biggest thing with that is like, whether it is like following your dreams, going back to school, starting a business, whatever it is, like if you are dealing with feeling like creatively insecure because you didn't go for it, it's a great way for you to start being bitter towards others because you almost blame others for getting to that place. If that makes any sense, people come up with excuses, you know, they come up with excuses for not doing what they wanted to do with their lives. And then they're bitter and miserable because they didn't do it and they didn't see it through. And I find more often than not, it's women that do that because men don't have a problem. A lot of times just going out and doing what they want and grabbing what they want. And I find that it's usually women who don't, Mm-hmm. And that's super sad to me because it's like less and less women are developing their skill set and going out and going for it young at a young age. And I, I, it seems like a lot of them are going for it later in life, but maybe maybe they're having kids early or they want to they get distracted by a guy or whatever. I know for me, that's what it was. It was just getting distracted by men all along the way. <laughs> and I mean, that, I, I think that's yeah. probably pretty common. <laughs> it's like, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Oh boy. Oh, you know, I was just very boy crazy since I was young, but you know, and we, you asked me a question uh, about going rogue Mm -hmm. in a situation in my life where maybe I, you know, had a great perspective shift and just went for something and and didn't let anybody hold me back. And so I was going to share a moment and it's kind of, it's kind of funny because it's like, I was so young. I was like fifth or sixth grade. I want to say that is, you know, I grew up in, yeah, it's really young. It is. But I remember it like it was yesterday because it made such an impression. And honestly, I think about that moment um, all the time. Anytime I I catch myself, I, I refer back to that moment. So I, I never really, I grew up in a very, like, we did lots of missions trips. My parents were pretty wild and outspoken and they were partiers before they like got saved and became pastors of a church. So they just kind of like shifted their party lifestyle into like a people lifestyle. They're just about hanging out with new people, making friends, going all over the world. You know, my dad was taking me diving off of cliffs when I was like, you know, 10 years old. Like I just never had a lot of fears about much. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, I definitely just going through stages, going through puberty, all that stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't have a great self-perception right away. I wasn't quite sure who I was. 
obviously, I guess no one really is at, at that age. Right. And I was like super, super chubby little girl. I mean, I had braces and headgear and covered in freckles and like everything that you can think to like just make me the biggest awkward goofball in the, <laughs> in the planet. <laughs> the school I went to had this singing group that was doing um, live performances all over um, all over the state. And it was a pretty big deal. I remember my teacher showed us the, the clip of sister act two, where like all the kids are in robes, like choir robes, and then they break out of their choir robes and they like do all this crazy dancing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is what I want you to be. So she has these tryouts and there was a lot, a lot of kids that were involved. And there was a lot, a lot of kids that were incredible vocalists. And I really, really wanted to do it. And I mean, I was like this, gangly, ugly little duckling. And I and I could sing, but I mean, I wasn't amazing or anything. It definitely wasn't something that people were like, oh, let's go listen to Allie sing. It wasn't really a thing, but, um, you know, I wanted this. It was the first time in my life I think I really, really wanted something for myself that I'd ever really kind of wanted to accomplish. And I remember all throughout the month, she was taking like tryouts and having people come in and singing doing practice and stuff with her. And I remember seeing all the kids get up there and just being so freaking scared and having sweaty palms and shaking and their voices were cracking. And it was just like painful to watch. (laughs) And I knew I wasn't as good as they were even. And I just remember thinking, gosh, and she, she had told me that if I wanted to, we could come in and practice with her as much as we wanted to get into this group. And so I remember the day that I was, going to do my tryout I'd gone and practiced with her as much as possible and just like you know got to get as much as I could in and I remember the day that we were supposed to have our tryouts I just was like who cares what any of these other people think about this I remember thinking that like why does this bothering me so much and why am I going to let it take away from something I really want Mm -hmm. and something I really want to do and every step of the way you know, like it was embarrassing to me because I wasn't as good as everyone else. So I thought everyone's going to think, you know, she's not even that great. Why is she doing this? Like, you know, what, what is it that everyone else was thinking was going through my mind constantly? And I just remember thinking like, what am I so like worried about that? Like, I want to do this. And like, I got to be, believe that I want to do it. And I've got to believe in myself to get this. Well, it changed everything for me because from that day forward, I've never, ever let what anyone else thinks of me hold me back from working towards something that I want. And, um, it's changed, it's changed everything from no matter what I want to do. I mean, there are people that are better at me, better than me in every single way, but I will, I, I really believe that I'll accomplish far more than them. And not because I'm amazing, but because I won't let what other people think affect me working towards that goal. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing awareness and, to have at such a young age. I mean, 11, 12 years old. I, I mean, I was so shy and so unbelievably insecure. I just wanted to be invisible. <laughs> So, you know, so I, I mean, my hat's off to you. I think that that is an amazing awareness and then to be able to not only have the awareness and the thought about it and then decide, cause that really is a going rogue 
thing to do at the age of 12 to go, hmm, to have that question in your head of why am I going to let this affect me and then make a decision I'm not going to let it affect me, even though this is scary and I don't feel, you know, like I'm as good as anybody. I'm going to go for it anyway. That's a, that's a lot going on there. And that's a pretty big going rogue movement for anybody, even adults, let alone a 12 year old, you know, when we all feel like we're going to be, nobody wants to feel like they're being judged and nobody wants to feel like, you know, people are thinking, um, poorly about them, but we can't help it. You know, it's part of our nature is we want approval and acceptance. So it's an, it's a tough thing for even confident adults to manage that. So I think that's pretty cool that you, that is a going rogue movement, uh, at a young age. Well, and I made the group and I mean, I beat out more than 12 of us and I beat out, I mean, probably 20 people that were way better than me. But just nice. because I refused, like I had a great attitude and I refused to like, I, I worked my butt off and she saw me working my butt off and she knew I would continue to work my butt off. So, you know, and it comes like that in everything. It comes right. like that in every, in every aspect of our lives, whether it comes to fitness, you know, I feel like so many people get stuck in a rut with their physical appearance, right? They're mm-hmm. so worried about what everybody thinks how the, uh, of how they look at the gym that they won't go. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I came to that. I came to that same thing. I remember I was doing, like, I, I'd gained some weight and I wanted to get back into the gym and I wanted to do some squats and stuff like that. And I had, like, a hoodie on. It started getting hot. I took it off. I'm like, maybe I should wrap it around my waist. I don't want anybody to stare at me while I'm, like, squeezing my butt cheeks together doing squats, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I had that direct moment, that flashback in my head of, like, no, I'm not going to let what anyone else thinks of me while I'm working towards my goals affect me. And I took my sweatshirt off and I was like, no, screw that. I'm going to get after it because that is what, that's what it takes. That's what it requires. If you want to go rogue, if you want to take on something bigger and better in your life and you don't want to be miserable, you have to release those insecurities and you have to not care what other people think about what it's going to take to get you through that process. Cause nobody's arrived. You know what I mean? Like everybody thinks that there's a moment of arrival, but there's not, it's a journey. Right. Right. You're yeah. The, the, the destination is like a mirage. <laughs> it's yeah. right. You see it and you think you're getting closer and then right where you think it's supposed to be and you've arrived. Um, there's a new mirage out ahead of you. So you it is, it's like a continual journey and there is, there is no hard destination. And boy, if you, if you hit a hard destination and you feel like you've checked that box and you've hit your goals and you're done, that's, scarier than anything. Cause right. you know, if you're, if you're, <laughs> you're not going to reach for the next level. There's always the next level. Right. And if you're, if you think that there isn't one and you've reached your, your highest level or your last goal, then you stop growing. And you know, when things stop growing, what happens? They, right. They, exactly they, right. they, they die. <laughs> they <Yep>. perish. <laughs> so it's not a good thing. The mirage is good. The mirage is your friend. As long as you and keep it's, going it's for it. it's all along the way, man. Like, it's all along the way. It's the getting to. It's That's where the growth is. And so, like, I feel like people too often, like, you know, I, I've, I've even wrote that in my book. So often people just want to look like this person they see in a picture or the, you know, this idea of fit and healthy and whatever. And it comes down to, like, well, you're not entitled to look that way. You have to work for it. 
So if you want to look that way, you work towards that goal, then like all along the way, it's going to be like, there's going to be some excruciating growth, but like that's part of the process. And that's how you're going to get to be that, like to really exude who you are, not just like look like a fitness model, but be a fitness model or whatever it is that you're, your your yeah. goal, ideal, you know. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Nice. So we have, let's see, you've got chapter three is love is not a possession. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in there because that's a, that's a really good point to make. And I think it's a very, um, confusing for a lot of people, especially I think when you're younger, um, you do kind of ha- take, take, uh, love as being something that you get to own. Um, and that's, boy, I don't know. We've only got like 10 minutes. I don't know if we should get into that one too much or we're going to, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's a good one though. Yeah. Get in there and read it for sure. If you're, if you have, or have any, any kind of issues with that, but it, it all comes down to, for me, just that the, it is really just a free or free agent. Everyone's a free agent and everyone's is totally capable of making their own decisions and somebody doesn't want to be within you anymore. They're not, they, they're not required to be no matter what the paper says. So treat each other well. Yeah. I always say you have to be each other's biggest fan and that means yes. you have to let and, and encourage the other person to grow. And I think a lot of people are afraid to do that because they're afraid of change because they associate that with, um, potential loss. So rather yeah. than, rather than in, encouraging their partners and cheering them on to grow and be in rise to their highest potential, they want to keep them, you know, just as things are because that, that rising to your highest potential means things are going to change. And people, people are afraid of change. Most people are afraid that if things change, they're going to lose something, you know, that they're trying to hang on to. So that fear of loss keeps them wanting to possess things and keep them just as they are now safely as they know them and recognize them. And the truth is, is like, you got to let people be free and be who they are. Cause if, if you don't like that's when you're going to suffocate the relationship. So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I just know from like, I've felt both ways. I've felt that sense of like fear and insecurity. And then I've also been on the other end of it where I've just been like totally stifled and felt like I couldn't even be who I was because I was in a relationship that was just so possessive. And it's like, nobody wants to feel that way every day of their life. Yeah, that's not a that's not a way to live. And you know, I really encourage our listeners to to read the book because I mean, we're just skimming over some the surface of, you know, some really great points about recognizing things within yourself and then having a roadmap that you've laid out in order to make changes so that you can be happy and at peace and, you know, create the life experience that you want. Um, but, but woven into all of these wonderful, um, pieces of, you know, strategy and advice that you've learned on your own journey is your story in there. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty riveting. And you had a, uh, what sounds like a pretty abusive relationship that, you know, really did a number on you. And so you're not just, you know, talking from a place of, uh, you know, intellect, you're, you're talking, uh, you were boots on the ground experience here in some pretty rough places in, in your life. And so I think <laughs> <It's> definitely, intellect. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing but experience really, truly like, 
you know, I've learned some things along the way, but it really is just, just 100% things that I've just experienced in relationships. And then the growth that I've had to come through, like in a very, I had so, I've had so many girlfriends along the way, like as soon as they're going through relationship stuff, they, they message me. I'm like, why are you messaging me? I am not the one I'm the, the messed up one. Remember? <laughs> and they're like, no, but like, how did you do it? Like, yeah. Leave my husband. <laughs> That's what you want to know how to do. So yeah, it's, it's not that I, I even like, I feel like there's a lot of things here, you know, all throughout that kind of help people to identify stuff. But the bottom line is like, if you are not ready to deal with your stuff, you will not be able to handle this book. Like I can just tell you that right now. I found more and more of the women that are reading my book and loving it are, are older than I am. They're women who have been through similar things and they're wanting to get past them. And um, so it's definitely something like it's really gnarly to deal with your own insecurities. It's really gnarly to deal with like your pain and your baggage and your bad behaviors. But mm-hmm. I feel like if it, if it means your own happiness, then like, you know, let's go there. Right. Right. And that's why I like it so much because it is brutally honest. And you're right, though. You have to be somebody that is totally ready to be honest with yourself and your own choices and to be honest with where your responsibilities lie and to be honest about what you're willing to do about it. And if you're not ready for that, you're not going to, you're not going to make it through this. You're going to throw this book across the room and probably start calling you names, Allison. (laughs) But but the ones that are ready are going to thrive and they're going to be able to use this to really help them move to that next better place in their life. And that's just it though. Everybody's got to get there in their own time. And I can see how um, maybe even a little bit skewing a little bit older because they've already had so much more life experience. I can see how those uh, women would be more open to it and, you know, use it to their benefit. Younger ones might not be quite, quite there yet, quite ready. You know how it is when we're younger. We, we think we already know everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we, we, we didn't figure out yet that we're still um, kind of naive in a lot of ways, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, the last two chapters, and I'm just going to say them real quick, and then we want to give, I think, our listeners just a few good action steps. But the last two, I think, are, are you hear a lot about it now, but still people need to practice this and really understand how important it is and how freeing it is. If you practicing gratitude and practicing forgiveness and learning to uh, embrace those things and bring them into your awareness on a daily basis is so powerful, so powerful that you can't afford to not, to not do it. You, you do yourself a disservice by not trying to incorporate those two practices regularly in your life. And, you know, and and one of the big things with that is they kind of go hand in hand, but like, you know, coming to the for both the gratitude chapter and the forgiveness chapter is like, I kind of just kept coming to that. I really didn't understand why things happened to me the way that they did or why somebody would be this way or what, you know, I never, if you, if you're constantly asking yourself the question, why, like you'll just chase your tail 
Like there's really sometimes no answer for why the things happen to you. But Mm -hmm. what it is, is that like in forgiving people and letting go of stuff, you're able to like release the need to figure that out Mm -hmm. and release the need to like have it all figured out. And, you know, then you're able to be grateful for what, what great things you have had in your life. You know, even I wrote in there about my first husband and how abusive that first relationship was. And he contacted me 10 years later, which was like last year, just to, um, apologize and all that. And I just, I felt like I needed to tell him like as nasty as our relationship was, we were so young, we were so young and we had no idea what we were doing. And he'd been going through some treatment and some rehab and stuff. And he was kind of just wanting to unload and he just let me know like how sorry he was for everything and that he didn't know any better or how to, and he he really didn't, he didn't really understand how to deal with anything that he had going on inside of him. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I had to come to realize is like in forgiving him, I also had to realize that like, it wasn't like there was a lot of things in that relationship that weren't always bad. There was a lot of things in that relationship that I learned and I'm grateful for that. And then moving forward, like what are the things that I'm grateful for in my experiences? Like what are the things that I'm able to, you know, forgive and then let go and be thankful that, you know, for whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of what I had to come to. And then, and then that forgiveness chapter, I had to kind of come to that. Like I, a lot of the forgiveness, I needed to forgive myself too, for making poor decisions, for, for hurting others, for hurting myself, for hurting people that I loved. And, and before I really even could forgive everyone else, sometimes I had to realize that maybe I just needed to forgive myself first. Um, yeah. And so that's a, that's a big part of it. And you really won't be able to, to move past being miserable if you don't forgive. Yeah, I think you're right. And it, and sometimes I think depending on, you know, what the experience is that you're wrestling with, sometimes it's almost harder to forgive yourself than it is somebody else. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you, yeah. you feel yeah. like you should have known better, even though, you know, yeah. you're, even though you're like 19 or something and you're just, you know, you wouldn't expect that maybe from a different person that was 19 because you know, you're still a child, but when it comes to yourself, we tend to be, I think, a lot harder on ourselves sometimes. And forgiving ourselves can be a more difficult task than other people. 100%. So chapter seven, the last one, and we'll use this to maybe give our listeners a few, some shift gift takeaways, a few things that they can do if uh, they're trying to overcome <laughs> it aptly aptly entitled how to kill a cow so <laughs> yeah you want to you want to what are your yeah, favorites so, yeah so my favorite I mean I, I can even kind of just read through so, towards the back because I there's like I go through kind of several steps and things that I feel like you could do but I mean I'm, I'm going to go through some of the things like the bottom line of it all okay. if that's okay, okay with you definitely so for me to feel like I like if I want to be content, then the number one thing is to stop comparing, stop comparing myself, my life to anyone, stop com- comparing and get that perspective shift of like what I'm dealing with is not the end of the world. And maybe I need to like reevaluate what it is I'm, I'm dealing with. Why am I so upset? Why am I so miserable? What's going on inside of me? Because if it is because you're comparing yourself to others, that's, that's definitely going to be like the first thing that's got to change. You got to be grateful and thankful for everything that you have. 
stop letting everyone offend you. (laughs) You've got to forgive. And then from there, I would say probably the best things to me are to find your passion. So what it is that's like you always wanted to do, figure out like what it would take for you to get there, make a plan, set some goals for getting there. And I think the biggest thing with like goal setting is people sometimes do a goal set, like by this date, I'm going to do this, but they don't have a plan to implement to get to that place. And I, I use something called um, the best self journal. There's a lot of different journals out there on the market that are great, but it's a day-to-day planner of like you wake up in the morning to break down your three goals that you made for yourself. And it's a 13-week planner. So in those 13 weeks, I say, I'm going to set these three goals in those 13 weeks. And each day is how I'm going to get a step closer to those goals. That's great. And yeah. It's, it's definitely worth a look when you're going through this book and you actually read through some of these things. It's like, you know, there's, you got to forgive others. You got to let go of stuff, but sometimes it just comes down to like, if it is just your creative insecurity or something that you've let go of and you're just frustrated and you're frustrated at others and you're frustrated at yourself, then what is it going to take? What's the plan? Like, is it because you don't get to spend any time with your spouse? Okay. So what's the plan for date night? What, yeah. what do you have to do to get somebody to watch your kid? What do you have to do to like, where can they go? Where can, so you can be alone together. If you're super frustrated because, you know, and sometimes it's, it might just be that little thing. Like all you really freaking need is a date night. You feel like your relationship's falling apart and your world's on fire and everything's going down the drain and everybody's going to die and all this stuff. But you really just need to spend a little time alone together. And so yeah. what's the plan to get there? Right. I love that. Uh, you know how it is. And then mm-hmm. um, get healthy and develop yourself. So I think probably the biggest takeaway I can say, you know, for anyone, for females especially, is if what at what point did you stop developing yourself and what point do you need to get back to to develop yourself again? And maybe the developing is just working out and taking care of your body. But if there is a, something that you want to do that you've always wanted to do and you continue to put yourself on the back burner, and women do that so frequently, mm-hmm. what would it take for you to put yourself back on the front burners and go, okay, I'm going to make this step. I want to develop a skill set again. I've always wanted to do X. Well, what would it take for you to do that? Do you need to go to an online class? Do you need to like figure out a way to get to a class on campus once a week? Is there somebody that you could like, whatever it is, is there somebody you talk to about developing an idea? You've got to tap back in to the things that you have always wanted to do, because that could really be the number one reason you're miserable. You're holding yourself back from something that you've always wanted to do. Right. I think that's true. I think that that is one of the most important things is um, developing yourself because it is a it is one of the most powerful human needs is we need to grow. And if you're not developing yourself in some way, shape or form, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to go out and say, I'm going to be an astronaut. I mean, it could be it could be just something as easy as I really want to grow an herb garden. You know, I mean, it 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 doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that you are growing and developing in some way, shape or form. And that way you don't feel like you are stuck and the, the rest of the world is, you know, moving on without you. Right. And that's probably like one of the biggest fears I think that women maybe can catch on to. I know a lot of people want to have families and I think that is freaking awesome, but I 100% 
disagree with the idea that if you have kids and suddenly that means you're like turned off until they're older or like you, okay, now you're in that role, you clock out of everything else and then you can clock back in when they're adults. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like a family is a great thing. You don't have to do everything, but there is something inside of all of us. That's like, you've got to go for it. You've got a passion. You've got to have your own thing Mm -hmm. and then focus on your own shit as you're moving forward in your life. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm you won't be so concerned about whatever else is going on around you. If you're focusing on your own stuff and trust me, like you won't have time to complain and whine and nag and you won't have time to fight if you're developing and growing something that you've always wanted to do. Yeah. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. Most people are too busy focusing on other people and that is a problem. We got to turn that spotlight around and point it at yourself. And you will fully enjoy your life so much better if you do, if you are just pouring, pouring, you have so much more time, (laughs) so much more time, so much more energy. Yes. And you just, I mean, you know, you're not supposed to be a miserable cow. That's not why we're here. No. There are cows to do that. We, we're here, we're here to experience and grow. And we are here, I think, to find our idea of happiness and contentment. And, but, but yeah, you gotta, you, you have to figure out what that is for you and then go for it. So I think those are really good, good action steps to get started. And I think everyone, um, would do well to pick up this book and, You've got a lot of great stuff in here. And be ready, though. If you are, thin, are, are easily offended and thin-skinned, you're not ready. You're not ready, girl. You're not ready. Trust no. me. I've, I, my husband's constantly like, oh, do you need to go reread your book? Because <laughs> you have an ad- <laughs> Right, right. All right. So I have one more question. Actually, I have a whole, I have a ton of questions, but we're out of time. So I'm going to save them for next time, but I'm, but I am going to ask one more before I do that, Allison, please tell everybody where they can find your podcast and your book and the services that you offer. Um, I, my website is allisoncapper.com. You can get my book on there. It's also on Amazon. So whichever you prefer, if you do get it off of my website, then I'll sign it for you. Um, I have mugs and stuff like that. My Instagram is Allison Capra. Um, my podcast is how not to be a miserable cow podcast. It's on everything. It's on anchor, iTunes, Spotify. So if you look my name up, Allison Capra, you should be able to pull it up. Just how not to be a miserable cow podcast. Um, and then anything else, I mean, I'm on all social media platforms and it's all just Allison Capra and that's A-L-I-S-O-N-C-A-P-R-A. Perfect. 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 Okay. So my final question, Allison, is what would you like to share with everyone about the value of going rogue? Oh man, I just, if you can take a moment to just really think about what it is in your life that is like you are stuck on whatever, if you're worried about what other people think about you, if you're worried about like, you know, missing out, if you feel like something's, something's 
you know, going to pass you by. Like the number one thing I can tell you is like, you cannot worry about what other people think. You cannot worry about what anyone else is doing. You've just got to determine that you are tired of being miserable and go rogue and figure out what it is that you're going to have to do to develop yourself, develop a skill set, and then just go for it because you're the only one that is in charge of your happiness. No one else is in charge of that for you. And if it means going rogue to get it, then I highly suggest getting it because otherwise you will be a miserable cow forever. (laughs) And the world does not need any more miserable cows, ladies. No, no. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. (laughs) So go go for it and go rogue. Yes. Perfect, Allison. You have been just a treat. I'm so delighted we had this time to talk. Thank you so much for coming on We're Talking Shift. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. I really, really do. It's really cool. Thank you. You have an awesome day and we will be in touch. All right. So don't be fooled by the name, you guys. This book is not simply about how to give yourself an attitude adjustment and a few easy steps and then your life's going to be amazing. No, it is a book about how to make it through personal pain, forgiving yourself, walking through the fire and coming out the other side. And Allison lays out awesome steps on how to shift your attitude and get unstuck. I like that it's a no frills, no sugar coated, call it like it is type of book that is perfect for people who are seriously committed to changing or improving their life. So if you would like to share your thoughts, I would love to hear them. Please leave me some comments and uh, give me a rating, please. I would be so grateful for that. It really helps me out. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already so that you know when each new show is coming out. If you are trying to make some shift happen in your own life and you would like some private coaching with me, you can find me on Facebook or through the we'retalkingshift.com site or lauriebischoff.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until we talk again next week, stay feisty, my friends. Go out and make some shift happen, will you? You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.